Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the start of a brand new week on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and I'm very glad to have you with us on this Monday, June 6th. I've got a lot to talk about with the panel, so let's get right to introducing them. Patricia Murphy, AJC political reporter and a columnist who writes the Political Insider column that you read in the newspaper on Wednesdays and Sundays in the AJC. And, of course, she also oversees the jolt at AJC.com. Patricia, you said you've already been up. You've already, we're not even your first appearance in the media this morning. You have already been on CNN even earlier this morning, yes? Bill, this is my most important, by far. <laughs> good, good answer, Patricia. Um, we're going to talk about why CNN wanted you to do the show this morning, a story about uh, a gas giveaway sponsored by a PAC supporting Herschel Walker. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show, however, but we're glad you're here, Patricia. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. The, the uh, CEO of DeKalb County, Michael Thurmond, is back with us, and we're always glad when you can find the time, uh, Mr. CEO, to do the show. Today, we're going to ask you to not only wear your political hat, Mike, but at a certain point, we want you to put on your lawyer's hat to talk about some interesting uh, developments that we're expecting from the Supreme Court in the weeks ahead. But thanks for being here, Mike. Uh, thanks, Bia. And I had to reach way back in my closet to find my lawyer hat because it had a little dust on it. So I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> Did you get your degree from the University of Georgia Law School, I assume? Uh, no, actually, I decided no? to go north to law school. So I graduated from the University of South Carolina Law School. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, you went that that far north. Okay. That far <laughs> well, north. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much for happen. being here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and because we are going to talk about the Supreme Court, among other things today, we always are happy to have Professor of Constitutional Law at Emory University, Fred Smith, with us. Um, Fred, it for anyone who is in the business of interpreting constitutional law, whether it's academically or in legal circles, this is a very big month, isn't it? Yeah, June, uh, June always is, and it's a it's a pleasure to be here. Look forward to talking about it. Okay, well, we're going to get to that in a little while, but um, Patricia, let's start with a story that broke on Friday that um, I think is worthy of, of some time. Your colleague, Mark Nisi, reported it. Let me read you uh, the lead that he wrote. A U.S. cybersecurity agency reported Friday that voting touchscreens used in Georgia have security vulnerabilities that put them at risk to hacking attacks, though there's no evidence those weaknesses have been exploited so far. And Patricia, um, this agency... Uh, is specifically looking at the machines of the Dominion voting systems, which, of course, are the machines that Georgia uses. Tell us us a little bit more about this story. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. So this is the um, Internet Security Agency that is in charge of reviewing any number of cyber vulnerabilities. And we know from talking to state officials and federal officials that uh, voting equipment has always been a concern, a huge concern of hacking either from internal or external actors. So they do conduct these reviews um, frequently. And what they came up with is that the Dominion voting machines that Georgia uses are vulnerable to outside attack and hacking. Um, But they also said there's no evidence that they have been hacked or that they were hacked in 2020. 2020 are the first elections um, when they were used. Uh, The Dominion machines have been a real focal point of the Stop the Steal group. Um, There is a documentary out called um, 2000 Mules that if you've ever been to a Trump rally, that's the new talking point of this Dinesh D'Souza conspiracy. So Um, I think it will fuel those conspiracies, but it's really important to note that these have not been hacked. There's no evidence that they were hacked in the past, Um, but it's also a reason to point to how important uh, the paper backup is of those voting systems. Um, That's what we've heard from voting officials, that uh, voters have that paper backup and they are able to go in and hand count those ballots if necessary, which Georgia certainly did do um, in 2020. Yeah, Mike Thurman, um, one of the things that the uh, cybersecurity agency says is that it's the barcodes that are on the printed ballots, which anybody who now, everybody who's voted now sees them when you get your printed ballot, that are susceptible to being manipulated to actually change how votes are recorded. They literally could flip votes if they were uh, manipulated maliciously. Um, so the, the, one of the fixes is to simply eliminate uh, this barcode. But when you see in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution a line that says votes could be be manipulated to change how they're recorded, uh, that's fodder for all of the conspiracy theorists out there, Mike. Well, absolutely. <clears throat> but first of all, technology designed and, and built by human beings you know, that technology is and will always be susceptible to some type of potential hack. There is no hack-proof technology. A few years ago, we found out that there was a hack that actually penetrated uh, the Pentagon and its system. So that's the reality that we deal with. It's a part of who we are now, and that's just something to be accepted. Uh, This study is important because it's independent and commissioned by the Secretary of State. So I think that's a very positive step that will help us mitigate any potential threat. But as far as the conspiracy theories, we're in an era where the losing side of campaigns will oftentimes and will continue to try to undermine the credibility of the outcome by alleging some type of irregularity or conspiracy. It's unfortunate But that is the world we live in now. That's the politics of the early part of the 21st century. Yeah, Fred, it does feel as though this story um, is just another another piece of evidence for the conspiracy theorists that will raise additional questions about whether any election we hold is safe and secure. And what's really troubling about that is it's the very foundation of our democracy. It is troubling. Um, That said, as Patricia noted, there's the paper ballot backup 
um, which didn't exist even just a few years ago. Um, and I do think that gives some people some comfort. Um, I mean, I think, and as, as Mike noted, um, it may be that today that the people who question the 2020 election are very different than the people who question the 2018 election. Uh, and so the identity of who, uh, you know, counts as uh, people who uh, have questions about elections, that may change. Um, but the, the paper ballot uh, gives a great deal of security in a way that wasn't true before. Uh, but Patricia, just uh, continuing on that thread for a minute, I think I'm right that it was you who wrote in the lead to a column this past week that it, it be, it's becoming clear, especially after the Georgia Republican primary election results, that any election that the Trumpies uh, lose was obviously rigged. In their retelling, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, they're retelling. Uh, because uh, there are a, a tiny handful, very small number in Georgia, who's, who are now contending that the 2022 election was rigged. Those Republican primaries apparently were fishy. Um, however, uh, my column was really about the fact that this entire um, sort of knee-jerk reaction to say your election was stolen if you didn't win it, um, and really perfected by Donald Trump, that has not been mirrored or echoed by those candidates, most of the candidates who lost in Georgia. And I think that's so important. David Perdue, Patrick Witt, um, uh, my gosh, let me go through, let me go through the list, Jody Heiss, um, other Republican candidates, conceded. They were out within 24 hours. They conceded and said, I will unite and support my um, support my Republican opponent. And we want to kind of unite toward November and encouraging all of those Republican voters to come back out to the polls in November. So even this culture of lying about your last election um, in the way that Donald Trump did by also then trying to overthrow the government in charge and by trying to um, overturn rather the election results. Um, that's something that does not seem to be living on in this 2022 cycle so far among the, the uh, kind of the big name uh, candidates who ran on the stop the steal message. And to me, that was a really nice result. Uh, and end of that primary uh, was nice. Yeah, to it, see. yeah. You know, Patricia, just to follow up on that a second, it's it's beginning to look. Um, we know that over the weekend, um, uh, Mehmet Oz essentially accepted victory in uh, the Pennsylvania GOP Senate race. He obviously was a Trump endorsee. Uh, we know that uh, Trump's candidate in Ohio won uh, Senate nomination uh, there. Um, it, it's, it's, Georgia has become something not a complete outlier because other candidates Trump endorsed have lost, but the scope of the loss here that he had makes us in some ways an outlier. Uh, I mean, the candidates whom Donald Trump endorsed were destroyed on uh, Tuesday night. I mean, it wasn't even close. It would be really hard to say that that election was rigged because it, these were 50 point margins. Um, so yes, it, it would be really hard to make the contention that, oh, this election was stolen from me. Uh, so Georgia is an outlier in that way. And the fact that those candidates centered their entire campaign on the stop the steal message, on contending that 2020 was rigged against them, um, that ended up not being enough to even get traction in those Republican primaries. And I think that's a really important benchmark for Republicans in the state today going forward. Mike? Well, I agree with uh, Patricia. And to me, 
the uh, net result of the Republican primary is to confirm that Georgia is not a red state or a blue state, it's a purple state. And when we say that it's a battleground state, that means that there are a group of voters who are who are, have the at least the ability to listen to candidates and campaigns and promises and platforms and then make a decision uh, beyond party affiliation. And I think the outcome in the Republican primary was just voters saying, no, we are not an extreme Trump state, that Georgia is what Georgia's always been, at least up until this point, a state of moderates, Republicans and Democrats, who move from candidate to candidate, election to election, and ultimately make decisions. So, Michael Thurman, while the ball's in your court, and while we still, before we get too far away from this question about how we cast our ballots, uh, let's stipulate, as I ask you this, that the CEO of DeKalb County, you don't, you do not oversee the elections in your uh, county. You have an election uh, board that does that. You have a you have personnel that run the election, so they're not under completely under your purview. But we know that, unfortunately, you had a commission race that certainly in the metro area has captured an enormous amount of attention uh, because in one race, something went dramatically wrong with the way that that, uh, ballots were recorded, I assume, counted, uh, that ended up uh, taking a week to uh, sort through and figure out. And a candidate who we thought had come in third, Michelle Long Spears, and therefore would not be in a runoff, ended up not only being in the runoff, but having gained the most votes after having been eliminated. Um, can you help us understand what happened there at all? Are you, Is your election uh, board, are your election people still trying to figure this out? Well, first of all, every day I wake up, I count my blessings that I have no authority uh, over the <laughs> registration <laughs> in Cab County. So thank you for mentioning that. That's one of the, the true pleasures of being the CEO. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it is my understanding, and I've not talked directly to board officials, but I am in contact with people who, who know, is that initially, the way I understand it, it was a programming coding error that originated at the Secretary of State's office. And that, along with a fourth candidate that withdrew and a ballot question, caused some uh, confusion uh, in that process. But let me say this. There's no such thing as a perfect election. Uh, You know, that's part of the conspiracy theorists. Uh, They're basing the idea that elections are perfect. And unless they are absolutely perfect, then, you know, something is amiss and somebody's trying to undermine an opportunity to elect a candidate of their choice. There are always errors, but the errors, as long as they don't affect the outcome of the election, ought to be accepted and corrected for future contest. So that's one thing we have to make certain. There's no such thing, never has been, never will be. So with that being said, the Secretary of State's office, and I'll give uh, Secretary Rasselsberger credit, stepped up, uh, acknowledged that they had been in error, worked closely with the Cab County Board of Elections and our new director, figured out what we could do using the paper ballots that Patricia and Professor Smith talked about, and 
we were able to come to a certified election within seven days. A new system, new board of elections, new director, recognized errors, but corrected them. And I want to mention something. Uh, the third candidate now, Marshall Orson, was quoted in the mm-hmm. paper saying and actually texted me and said he's not going to contest the outcome. And I think that's something that, quite frankly, impressed me and that all the voters in the second district and throughout the Cab County uh, can really celebrate and acknowledge that he did. Yeah, um, Fred Marshall Orson did initially say uh, that he would uh, he he wanted the board, the election board, not to certify uh, the results. But once they did, um, he essentially conceded he would not be in the runoff as he thought he would be initially. But but Fred, as as uh, Michael Thurman just pointed out, uh, it, this goes to your point earlier. Um, thank goodness for paper ballots, which we did not have in the old voting machines that were used for almost two decades here until the new machines came in, Fred. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, as CEO Thurman notes, um, you know, some, in these moments, it is important that for people to, uh, the people who are on the losing side of things, that they think about the bigger picture. Um, and, and part of the bigger picture is respect for democracy um, and respect for uh, institutions, um, and uh, and I, I do think the, the paper ballots um, help to facilitate that. Uh, and uh, when when you said two decades ago, it made me think about the really old days. And you would go and you could pull the lever. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the old shoot voting machine. That's how we. <laughs> did we actually have those in Georgia at one point? My, by the yeah. time I got oh, here in 1983, we were using the punch. We were using the little needle to punch a hole in a in a ballot. <laughs> in Clark County, you had the old shoot vote machine with the lever. Trust me, I've lost a couple of elections on the old shoot machines. I know. <laughs> um, so Patricia. I think- I think it's important to stipulate, though, that um, there are legal avenues for candidates to ask for a recount, to yes. legally contest elections. Um, I hear from readers every time I write about Donald Trump um, not re- trying to overturn the election who say, well, Stacey Abrams didn't concede her race. How is he any different from Stacey Abrams? And my my response is that Stacey Abrams stayed well within the law and was well within her rights to give a speech that she gave. Um, Donald Trump tried to go outside the law. It, it looks very possible. There is a grand jury investigation looking into his role in trying to go outside the law here in Georgia. So um, I think it's completely fine for candidates to ask for a recount if it's within that legal limit. Um, Donald Trump did do that. But then once that is confirmed and certified by the state, it is important. Um, And I think you can just look back to Al Gore. He obviously thought he won that election. Um, But at a certain point, he said and gave a speech to the nation, I think it is better for the nation now that this process has concluded to just move on. And Democrats were furious at him for that. But that was a determination he made that pushing that argument further and further would only eventually damage the country. And I think that's the really important balance for candidates to always keep in mind once they've (laughs) taken the process as far as it can go. 
Thea, thank you for adding that uh, to our conversation. Um, we can move on. I, I will be interested in seeing how long it takes for Donald Trump to issue some sort of response to what this report showed. I haven't seen anything so far. I don't know if any of you have, but I imagine it's only a matter of of time uh, before he sees this as another example of how the election was stolen from him here in Georgia. All right, let, let, let's move on. Um, Patricia, we, um, we, I want to talk about guns uh, because for a couple reasons. Number one, there have been a number of deadly shootings again across the country this weekend. Um, what there were in Chattanooga had a terrible incident in which at least two people were uh, killed by, by guns. Um, the mayor in a news conference and this morning he's on all of the cable channels saying, I am so tired of standing up and having to talk about people being killed uh, by guns. Um, we had an incident in Macon over the weekend in which at least one person, perhaps more, were killed. Um, so, so guns remain uh, a, a very big uh, focus of attention this week as the U.S. Senate comes back into session tonight and perhaps we'll begin debating a uh, gun safety measure. Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, who's been leading all of these efforts to do something uh, to regulate guns a little bit more strictly, says he thinks there could be a bipartisan deal reached this week, although it will not include the major elements that President Biden wanted, an assault weapon ban, an extended background check, and, uh, and this is relevant too, to part of our conversation, the president called for an end to the immunity which Congress gave to gun makers. All right, one more element, and then it's back to you, Patricia. At the same time, uh, there are uh, uh, people who are survivor families in Uvalde um, and others there who have now come together uh, because they plan to, they are taking the first steps uh, to sue uh, the company in South Georgia, um, which produced the weapon that was used in the murder there. All right, that's a lot to uh, start off with. But Patricia, the first step of this, I think, is what about a lawsuit against gun makers? I thought Congress Im immunized them against uh, responsibility in these kinds of cases. Well, I want to, I will definitely toss the legal portion of that over to the lawyers on the panel who can further discuss the, the legality of, of bringing a state against Daniel Defense, which is in, um, Bryan County. Um, but I think the, you know, just the, the political stalemate on this is just overwhelming to cover. And it's overwhelming, I think, for most voters to process. And Mr. Thurman had talked about those sort of moderate voters in the middle. Anybody who is not deeply ingrained in, I think, Republican politics or um, kind of what I'll sort of refer to as gun culture, I think there's sort of a culture in the state at this point, cannot understand why there is no proposal or movement on this issue. Even what's being discussed in the Senate, many of those reforms would be voluntary for states and incentivized for states. But, um, you know, there are incentives to expand Medicaid in the country, and Georgia has not taken part in those either. Um, Governor Brian Kemp is speaking to school resource officers this morning. Um, I saw an advanced um, text of his remarks, and he is talking about all of the things that the state has done to um, help fund states to harden their uh, defenses, sort of door locks and um, 
additional funding for another school resource officer. Um, he says that this is the type of thing that keeps him up at night. He prays every day for no, for there not to be a school shooting in the state. But for parents, I don't know that that's enough. I know as a parent, it, this is the type of thing that you can't even really process. It is so difficult. And so I think voters at some point will demand more action. But after Sandy Hook uh, producing nothing, I think it's hopes are so low. Um, and uh, there will be uh, a lot of discussion about this. I don't know how much progress there's going to be, especially as long as Republicans in particular just don't see movement on guns as even anything to discuss. I reached out to Republican leaders after the school shooting and said, what do y'all plan? Do you plan any changes? You'll just sign constitutional carry, which uh, eliminated the permit required to carry a gun in Georgia. And it was really sort of confusing, like, well, why would we do that? Why would we consider changes to guns? We're going to consider changes to schools. Um, my response was like, what if it's recess? <laughs> A locked door is not going to help a recess. Anyway, I could go on forever, but I'm sure we could discuss the legalities of a lawsuit as well. So, uh, Fred, talk about that uh, notion of uh, the the law that was passed and signed signed by the president that gave immunity to gun makers. Is Daniel Defense uh, uh, not uh, can they not be held culpable for? Uh, for for producing the weapon that was used in Nivalde, and by the way, was also used in Las Vegas. Yeah. So in 2005, uh, Congress passed the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, um, and it does generally provide immunity to uh, to gun manufacturers. But there are uh, six exceptions, and among those exceptions, um, one is for negligence per se, which is um, just. I didn't expect how much that would sound like a legalese until until it came out of my mouth. But essentially, um, negligence per se is when there's a state law um, that, uh, that prohibits something um, and, uh, and the mere fact that someone violated the state law that was designed to protect a category of people um, is, uh, is sufficient. When someone violates that law, they have engaged in negligence. Um, and uh, another exception uh, that's built into that law um, is uh, for uh, situations in which someone knowingly violates state law. Um, and so, I mean, I haven't read the, the complaints in these cases, um, but those are among the exceptions. And so it's possible um, that, 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 that those are the, um, the windows that, um, that are being explored. So, um, Mike Thurman, um, what, one of the questions that I think progressives in the Democratic Party are going to ask uh, is, we, you know, when, when uh, Senator Murphy says we, we're moving toward some kind of agreement, the progressives are going to say, yeah, but are we going far enough? I, I mean, I think there's going to be some real questions as to whether any deal is better than no deal. Well, I think we can go as far as a Senate that split 50-50 can take us. I mean, that's the reality of the political environment as it exists now. Uh, I want to add one other uh, jurisdiction to the list of mass shootings. On yesterday, the DeKalb County Police Department arrested the suspect in a Mother's Day shooting where three people were killed and two were wounded in DeKalb County. So this is Mm. obviously very close to my heart and who we are. And one of the tragic realities of this job that I hold now is that 
each day or each time there was a homicide or some other event uh, normally engaged in using guns, you know, I get a text and an email on my phone. So, and it's all day, 24 hours a day, whenever it happens. And it's basically the same narrative uh, in terms of either a young black male, uh, it's often the victim, if not the great majority of the time, and the suspected perpetrator as well. So let me say this. I, obviously, we all ex- respect the Second Amendment rights, but that's not the only right granted by the U.S. Constitution. There's also a right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And I believe that Democrats are really people of goodwill, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, is that we have to balance those rights. There's an equality of rights. And I don't believe that the Second Amendment extends to criminals' intent on murder and robbery a right to possess a dangerous, uh, deadly weapon, uh, automatic weapon. I don't believe, and I'll stop, Bill, that that right extends to mentally deranged young people who want to murder children in an elementary school. Well, I, I do need to get to a break, but, but thank you for that because you lead us right into what I really am looking forward to talking about when we come back, and that is just what did Heller, the case that opened the door for people to own firearms in their own homes, what does it really say you can and cannot do with firearms? We'll talk about that more with the panel after these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. DeKalb County CEO Michael Thurman, Patricia Murphy, AJC political reporter and columnist, and Professor Fred Smith of uh, Emory University join us today. Fred, this is an opinion day. They'll be releasing opinions this first Monday of June at the Supreme Court, although we don't expect usually the big decisions early in the month. But one of the decisions we're eventually going to see, of course, is a decision on New York gun law which could have very profound implications in terms of what we're talking about here. What does the Second Amendment allow people to do in terms of gun ownership, right? So, Fred, if I can, let me start with you on this. Um, I believe that, that, that I'm right that it was Washington, D.C. versus Heller that really established by the court the right for you and I, all of us, to have guns in our home, to, to own guns, regardless of whether we had a profession that required us to protect ourselves, part of a militia, or whatever. And that was a 2008 decision, right? That's right. So in 2008, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, the Second Amendment protects a right to a handgun, a handgun in the home. Uh, and, uh, and that's the extent of it. Uh, and then a few years later, um, they ruled that that, that that does not just apply to federal laws, that also applies uh, to uh, to state laws as well. 
Uh, and so in a case out of Chicago um, that used to have uh, pretty strict uh, gun restrictions uh, until a case called McDonald a few years after Heller, um, they overturned um, some, sh- some Chicago gun restrictions. Uh, and after that, um, they've sort of left this issue alone until this year. Uh, and so uh, now what we're going to, what we're going to learn uh, is whether the Supreme Court also um, believes that this protects um, that the Second Amendment protects a right to concealed weapons outside of the home. Uh, and um, and that, that's a topic that, you know, I mean, 10 months ago, when, that, when, you know, when, when these issues were being debated uh, at the court initially, um, this isn't something that people kind of maybe paid a lot of attention to, um, but it, this has become much more salient, I believe, over the last month. Uh, Michael Thurman, uh, I, I think it's important, though, to note that um, gun the, the the gun lobby would say that that the court opened the door without any restrictions for the use you know having a gun in your home, whatever, and expand it, continue to expand uh, that right. Um, whereas the other side of of the coin, the people who want more restrictions, say no, no, no. Uh, the court did allow that you that this isn't an unfettered right to have a gun in any circumstance under which you want it. And and Michael, I I pointed out to all of you, and I've talked about it on the show before, a fascinating essay written for the New York Times last week, in which clerks for Justice Scalia and Stevens, who were on opposite sides in Heller in 2008, both agree that um, the uh, the case did not preclude passing gun laws that might restrict how you can use a weapon, what kind of weapon you can use and the like, right? Oh, absolutely. There is no absolute right. It's a right. Uh, your right in where mine began. And so that, I'll go back to the point I'm making. There are a few people who would argue that law-abiding citizens don't have a right to own a handgun in their home or even to possess one. Law-abiding citizens. What we are faced with right now in my community and all over this country, we have people intent on robbery, on murder. You have 18-year-old gangbangers. What constitution extends that right to an individual who wants to terrorize honest, hardworking individuals? What constitution and where in the U.S. Constitution does that right extend to mentally deranged uh, people possessing guns of mass destruction and going into a supermarket in Buffalo and literally hunting down innocent black people to kill or going into an elementary school? I don't see where that is written in the Constitution. And there is a, it's a far cry between a law-abiding citizen owning a gun to protect themselves and their families if necessary or to engage in sport and allowing people to run them up and to kill and maim and take innocent lives in our society. Patricia? Well, I think uh, that the place where the most progress is possible is when we talk about red flag laws, um, making it currently state law says that uh, you cannot possess a firearm if you've been um, hospitalized for addiction or mental illness within the last five years. But that's only if you've been hospitalized. It doesn't give uh, people leeway to take those guns out take guns away from people um, in many instances where they could be a danger to themselves or others. That certainly doesn't exist at the federal level either. And that is really what seems to be getting talked about at the federal level. 
Um, but even when you talk about sort of that narrow subset, when the mental health bill, that huge omnibus mental health bill was being debated earlier this year in the legislature, which did end up passing, um, I believe, unanimously with just a, a tiny exception, um, the last minute uh opposition to it was based on access to weapons and who gets to decide who is a danger to themselves or others, who gets to make that accusation. Um, and that was for the purposes simply of having somebody hospitalized. Uh, but then people opposed to that piece of it said, and what about guns? Who gets to decide if someone shouldn't have a gun? And so that found that piece of uh, the gun sort of gun uh, advocates found its way into that debate, which was not even a controversial bill in the in almost entirely, mm-hmm. but that almost prevented it from passing. And so it is, uh, and it's not just the NRA. You know, the NRA has lost almost all of its power at this point, but there are statewide. Um, pro-gun organizations, Georgia Carey, um, and also voters who simply tell Republican lawmakers, this is what we want. Um, and that is a loud and vocal majority in many of their districts. And so it's very hard to see that changing here in Georgia, given the political dynamics, but it would take, you know, the, the work of a governor and of uh, legislative leaders to make a difference or to have different leaders in that case. So it's hard to see what changes until other things change. So, Fred, um, th- uh, the the New York gun case, which we're going to get an opinion from the Supreme Court on at some one of these Mondays in June. Um, uh, what could it? What might it mean? What are the implications? We already have, of course, open carry now in Georgia. It was passed this last session and signed by Governor Kemp into a law. But could the Supreme Court rule in such a way in the New York case that open carry became the law of the land? across the country? Well, the most recent Georgia law says that you don't even need a permit, right? Uh, yes. And that's not uh, before mm. the court. Uh, I, don't necess- I don't think that the Supreme Court ruling will affect Georgia so much as it will affect places that, uh, that have stricter gun laws. Uh, so uh, New York, uh, California, um, and a handful of other places. Um, th- th- those, are, those are the places where the Supreme Court ruling um, it's going to have uh, the biggest impact. So I'm interested in what you just said. I, I, permits are not under the court's uh, uh, review right now is what you're saying. I didn't realize that. That's right. right? So uh, it's a broader question about whether or not uh, carrying concealed weapons uh, in public is a constitutional right. Um, and, you know, that's just not a question the Supreme Court uh, has had uh, in front of it uh, since really perhaps the 1800s. Um, and so this is a, it, it effectively is, uh, is a new question. Um, and, uh, you know, it, you know if, if you are in a state that, like, like California and like New York, that does have stricter uh, gun laws, then uh, this is, this is going to have a much bigger impact than it will uh, in Georgia. Because it's already the case in Georgia, right, that if a, if a police officer saw someone walking down the street with a gun a few years ago, or a year ago, what an officer could do is say, do you have a, do you have a permit for that? Right? A, a friend of mine in Buckhead said that someone walked into um, the other day with a, with a big assault rifle, walked into um, their condominium building, um, and they didn't do anything, but it was, it, was, it was frightening for everyone who lived there. A few years ago, what an officer could do is say, do you have a permit for that? 
Uh, and now in Georgia, that's no longer the case. Right? I, I don't really know what an officer would do in that situation. Um, but the, but the, the, the Supreme Court case um, is, isn't going to affect Georgia so much because Georgia already has among the loosest uh, gun laws in, in the country. Yeah. Okay, thank you for uh, uh, helping us all understand that a little bit better. Certainly helping me understand it better than I had before. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way. A little more about the Supreme Court when we come back, but then let's talk about the uh, gas giveaway that's getting so much attention uh, right now in Georgia. This is Political Rewind. I'll bet you're just longing to see more debate, candidate debates, aren't you? You miss them already after the primary is over. Well, guess what? We have more of them for you. The Atlanta Press Club is sponsoring a series of debates today that we carry on Georgia Public Broadcasting, uh, most of them online. Uh, So, for instance, uh, this morning at 10 o'clock, right after we're off the air, uh, Jake Evans and Rich McCormick are debating the Republican runoff race for uh, the 6th District. Uh, the 10th District between Mike Collins and Vernon Jones comes up later in the morning. There's a 2nd District Republican runoff. And you, Patricia Murphy, are moderating two of them today. You really are a stickler for punishment. Which ones are you doing? <laughs> well, I have the Democrats running for Secretary of State. Uh, which I think is very important. One of the two of those ladies will be running against Brad Raffensperger. For D. D. Dawkins, Hagler, and B. Wynn. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Thank you so much. And then I will be moderating a debate between um, Charlie Bailey, who is running for lieutenant governor, and an empty lectern uh, because Kwanzaa Hall, the other Democrat running, uh, is not going to be at the debate. We reached out to him to ask why the AJC did, and we have not heard a peep from him. Uh, he also did not show up to the first lieutenant governor's debate. So we're not quite yeah. sure why. Obviously very confident in his ability to get through <laughs> to voters without worrying about debating. Well, he got uh, the, all right. so the you, last time around, so it's working sh- for him. He sure did. Uh, all right, so you can get a full schedule at GPB on, on where you can uh, watch these debates coming up. Um, let's. I want to do one more thing about the court today. Obviously, their ruling on the Mississippi abortion case is the most anticipated of all. We'll get that later in the month. And, and we're not going to have time to talk about in depth what might happen. But I do want to talk with Fred Smith, take advantage of his being on today. You're a former clerk in the United States Supreme Court for Sonia Sotomayor, right? Was it, don't I have that right? That's correct. Yeah. Tell us, Fred, what you imagine the atmosphere, the tone, the tension must be like down there at that building that you used to work in now that there's this <laughs> serious investigation of the leaked opinion uh, from Justice Alito. What must it be like there for those people? trying to decide what to say because I happen to have been there on Tuesday. Um, just to say oh. my door is officiating my wedding. So we weren't talking about anything court business, but we were, we were, well, we were talking about Congratulations. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, um, and it's, I mean, it's, 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 an, I mean, it feels like a different place. And I, I won't say anything about what's happening inside the building, but even outside of the building for approximately two blocks, next to the building, uh, you can't even approach the court uh, without going through a, a guard and then going through another guard. Um, 
Uh, whereas, you know, when I clerked there, people regularly walked in and they went to the gift shop and they went to the cafeteria and, and they, could, they could show up and ask for a tour. Uh, and so, um, you know, it, even on that scale, um, it, it, it feels different. And uh, I will say this, though, that, you know, you know, we're talking about June because June is when the, there's the end of the term. Uh, and then just a few months later, there's a new term, right? And so there's this period in between um, where the court has an opportunity to, to catch its breath. Perhaps America has an opportunity to kind of catch its breath uh, when it comes to these sorts of issues. Uh, and um, there's a way in which that can't come soon enough. Yeah, yeah. Um... The tension, though, I understand you can't talk about anything specific, but the clerks must be feeling an enormous amount of tension right now, I would guess. The tension was palpable. Yeah. Oh, thank you for uh, uh, sharing that. And congratulations, uh, uh, Fred Smith. A, a wedding presided over by a justice of the Supreme Court. I'm, that's very, very exciting. All right. Um, Patricia Murphy, uh, let's talk about this uh, event over the weekend. A PAC supporting Herschel Walker uh, went into, I think, a number of, of gas stations. Uh, you'll tell me if, it was, if, if I'm right. And had $25 coupons for uh, people to buy gas. Uh, they didn't make it a condition that you announced whether you were a Republican supporting Walker or not. They just said, here, gas is too high. Raphael Warnock is, is one of the problems, you know, but here on us. And, uh, of course, it's caused a storm of controversy. Democrats are screaming that perhaps it's illegal, although it probably isn't. Um, and it's getting an enormous amount of tension, yes, uh, of, a, uh, of attention. Yes, and you have described it accurately. It was uh, one gas station in southwest Atlanta targeted at Democratic black voters. And, uh, yes, it was $25 vouchers, a huge line of cars lined up for those $25 vouchers for obvious reasons. And with the voucher, they also got a pamphlet with Herschel Walker on one side, Herschel Walker good, other side, Raphael Warnock bad. I have to add that <laughs> Raphael Warnock uh, in February proposed a suspension of the federal gas tax. So he certainly has yes. had his eye on this issue as well. Um, however, Democrats went absolutely, I mean, bananas about it, specifically because it really shows the patchwork of Georgia laws that allow for something like this to happen, which our understanding is that it's legal. It was not coordinated with Walker. Walker did not know about it before it happened. So it wasn't his idea. Um, and so in that way, it is not illegal. Um, also, it was not a condition of your vote. Say you'll vote for Herschel Walker. Here's 25 bucks. Um, but they said, but wh why in Georgia can you do that? And you cannot give a voter water while they're waiting in line to vote for somebody. Why is that illegal? And something else like this is legal. So um, Republicans said, hey, Stacey Abrams talks about all the, you know, the medical bills she paid off during the offseason. And so their candidates routinely sort of push out benefits to voters in whatever way that is legal that can give them attention and make them look like they care about people's problems. But it, you know, I'd heard one Republican who said that's the best $4,000 that super PAC ever spent. <laughs> everyone's talking about it. <laughs> 
You know, Mike Thurman, I, let me preface this by saying something I say every now on this show, which is uh, I'm not a political consultant. I would have no skills in that work. I think if I were and had a client, they would lose every election I worked with them in. Okay, having said that, it strikes me Democrats are the ones who made this a much bigger deal than it might have been by complaining so much about it. What's going on here? <laughs> A Senate race that might determine control of the U.S. Senate. That's what's going on out well, here. But, okay, but I get that. Fi- but why why go after it in such a big fashion and end up being in that? Patricia Murphy was on CNN this morning because they wanted to talk about this. Well, this I, that's advice I would not have given. But I, I think this, though, it speaks to the desperation that average <clears throat> working class people are facing right now in this country. Forget the politics. What I looked at was the reaction from people who can't afford gas to go in their car right now. And politicians on the left and the right in Atlanta, in Washington, better pay attention. There will be three issues that define this uh, election. It will be gas, groceries, and guns. Until the Supreme Court ruled gas, groceries, and guns, gas being number one. And that's what I would actually be dealing with. Not so much that Walker did it, but, hey, are they selling $50 gift cards somewhere else? I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't hesitate one moment. I wouldn't set myself up to be holier than thou. I would respond to this real crisis that real people are facing. That, thank you for that. You know, Fred Smith, I thought Stacey Evans, State Representative Stacey Evans, um, uh, put out a tweet this morning that I thought really captured kind of what Michael Thurman is saying. saying, could we all agree that whether it's Stacey Abrams helping pay off medical bills for people who can't afford them or whether it's a PAC giving away vouchers for gasoline, treating each other with kindness and giving each other some benefits is a good thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agreed. And there's a, yeah, I mean, it almost feels like bait uh, that the Democratic Party took um, in, in Georgia. I will say they've done it with some nuance. They're not saying Herschel Walker shouldn't have done it. They're saying, why can't we give water to folks who are standing in line? Um, that said, uh, I agree with CEO Thurman that, um, that right now gas prices are, are top of the mind. Um, and the fact that they've highlighted that uh, that a senatorial candidate has helped people with that um, yeah, wouldn't have been my advice either. Um, I, I think that's a, a really good good point to make to close out the show today, Patricia, and that is that um, the issue is bigger than the question of giving out vouchers, and at the same time saying, "Come on." Why can't we give water to people? You know, I do understand attacking a law that prevents you from handing out water to people at a polling place. Yeah, I also think Democrats, especially nationally, are generally defensive on the economic issue. They point to, well, Mm. but job numbers look great. Wages are up. The reality is that even if you have a job and got a raise, you're losing money. You are not. Your bills are bigger than than your pay increase. And that is almost every as everybody's reality unless you got a big job and so that's that's what i hear from voters all right 
Last word from today, on today's show from Patricia Murphy. Thank you so much, Patricia, for uh, being with us today. Michael Thurman, thank you for taking time out from your CEO schedule, putting on your lawyer hat for a while to join us. And Fred Smith, uh, I'm hoping we can call on you at least several times as June plays out in the Supreme Court. Uh, issues these important opinions we're all looking forward to uh, seeing. We're out of time for today's show. Of course, we'll be back with a brand new Political Rewind tomorrow. In the meantime, please take care. Stay healthy, everybody. See you tomorrow.